Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagine Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. All right, so here we are, Cesar and myself, we're talking about ungrading. So I know that this is something that we had to do for our doctoral studies, and you and I both have different experiences in ungrading, and we approached it from different angles, but at the end, we just ended up converging both our projects, which is something very interesting because something really dynamic came about it. So let's go ahead and start with your side as far as the ungrading. I know you came at it with a different approach, so share with your approach that you're coming into this with and uh, where that thought process came from to begin with. Well, of course, the whole entire notion of ungrading started with Dr. Jewett's class. I'd never done ungrading or anything like that. Uh, going into it, yes, I was hesitant also, but then I noticed that as far as actually knowing what we wanted to do, and then as far as the application for bilingual students, because bilingual students don't speak. They have a lot of problems with the speaking aspect, the reading, the writing, and it has to do a lot with their confidence. And I started looking at the self-sustaining theory, which the students want to excel, but they don't do it because their confidence is low. They don't have the ability to be able to talk in their native language because the way the rating system is this school year, academic school year, is if they speak Spanish while they're speaking, their rating goes down automatically. If they hesitate, their rating starts to go, but it doesn't go low as quickly as when they start going into Spanish. Now, a lot of people are thinking, well, the translanguage aspect. Translanguage is not just speaking in Spanish. Translanguage in itself has to do more with them using their entire repertoire in their native language. There's a big difference. I started thinking how to apply it for the bilingual students, for the emergent bilingual students as it's called now, right? How are they going to be able to utilize this in an efficient manner where they're able to build their own confidence and speak and develop those uh, conversations with each other and rate themselves, reflect on their own learning. Because again, I don't want to focus so much on the grade itself or the labeling, which is a Eurocentric way of thinking. I want them to think, I want to hear them and be able to, I guess, digest myself and reflect myself on how they're growing themselves as learners. So for example, on the ungrading portion, you've talked about your thought process on this. But as far as the actual ungrading in your case, because I know, like I said, both our projects were a little different, but at the end, we kind of did meet and work together. What do you see ungrading being as far as an example within teacher practice? Within teacher practice, I want to focus on the actual gradual release, which is a or a method that we're using for our teachers and talking about the Starbucks 2.0 that's coming. So it's going to become a hybrid process once we start developing it in the actual classroom because it's also gonna, it's gonna be gradual release, but there's gonna have to be some sort of, what do you call it? <laughs> like a marriage, is it called? 
give and take. If we're going to do this, we cannot just focus on the ungrading all on its own because the teachers are not going to buy into it immediately. And then the administrators are sure are not going to buy into it immediately. And the state of Texas, they're all about ratings and data. And I'm not saying that there isn't any data with ungrading. There still is. They're going to get an A, B, C, or D, but it's more related to the actual student getting them the cells the grade and then the teacher developing the rubric. So therefore the teacher also takes ownership as far as how the students are doing in the classroom with formative assessment. So they're going to, it's going to be a lot more work and there's going to have to be a compromise. It's going to be a compromise. Okay. Like the marriage. Like that. Yeah. Marriage is a compromise sometimes. And it's like, we're still going to have letter grades. For example, they'll still have to be assessment. Correct and checkpoints for them to say, okay, we are heading in the right direction. It's not gonna be just ungrading the whole way. That's how it's evolved in my head and thinking with this class itself, but then also thinking in the K through 12 aspect, there is going to be a compromise where the students rate themselves first, second week of school, third week of school, you know how we have progress. Right. There'll be a need for the students to actually have a checkpoint assessment, maybe in the, the first six weeks, the second six weeks, and then a benchmark, like what we do at, at school already. And those will say whether or not the young grading system is working. Okay. Now, on my side, I come in from the flip side as far as actually practicing it just a little bit. And really, the ideas that you have seen are things that I was able to apply pretty much the last four years being in the classroom. I was a secret ungrader because number one, I just never liked grading because it was number one, too many papers to do. And I would feel that the students were really getting adequate feedback because it was just, here's the number. They give it back to the students. They shove it in their backpack and they forget about it. So they didn't really find the value. They just said, you know what? I got the minimum score. I'm good. I'm happy I passed and that was it. But what changed was having that mixed classroom and working with emergent bilinguals, I figured, I was like, I got to do things different because they're not going to succeed if I give them these same exact tasks. And even if I translate for them, or even if I help them with certain accommodations, it was still very difficult. So I decided to see, okay, let me pull into their talents because just because they didn't speak the language doesn't mean that they didn't come in with intelligence. It just wasn't, they weren't able to express it in a language. So I figured, okay, if they're scared to speak it or feeling self-conscious, then let's go ahead and do some projects. And based on those projects, that's going to show me as a teacher that you do have understanding of the concept that I am teaching, that although you may be scared to vocalize, if I give you a Chromebook or if I give you the opportunity to create a slideshow or the opportunity to present it to me in something that you feel comfortable with, then I'm okay because it shows learning. But on top of that, something happened that was positive, which was there were learning artifacts for these students. All my students had digital portfolio. Everything just kind of fell in line with that, that when there was evidence needed, when there was an RTI, when there was an LPAC, or there was anything that we needed to submit, I had that digital artifact to be able to submit for proof of growth, where sometimes they base growth on grades but we know that students really, the grades are based on just mimicking what the teacher does. So if the teacher shows you three times seven is 21, then they're just gonna memorize three times seven is 21, but they don't really 
understand the number sense behind it of what three times seven really means. So I like this conversation right now because it shows that what I was doing is what you're envisioning to some extent, but the growth most importantly in the students and being able to see that physically with those learning artifacts, but also in building up their confidence. And that's what ungrading has shown, which is focusing on the learning and not on the grade. And we see that growth. Was it something that was difficult? For me, maybe at the beginning, but once you, like you said, I, I did the rubrics and that's something like even in Dr. Jewett's class for ourselves, having those examples with rubrics and grading ourselves and making sure there are formative ways to also get those grades to make sure the students are growing really helps out a lot. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I believe that ungrading, it although may sound something normal, may sound something scary because te Texas is all about accountability. In the long run and in the greater scheme of things, I think that it's something that would be beneficial to our students. Traditional teaching background is we've been doing grading and labeling and segregating students. We're still doing it. We're labeling for special ed, E504, your emergent bilingual. And then we group them, hey, we need to create a heterogeneous group, a mix of students, but at the same time, like what you're stating, it, we were hesitant at the beginning, but it, the teachers, man, like I was trying to do it in my campus and the teachers were like, yes, okay. Most of them, there were still some that were like, yeah, I don't think so, but I'm the principal. So, hey, yeah. but once I brought it up to my boss, it was like, hey, you know, this is okay, but let's try. We have a good mix in each class of students. We have GTs, we have special ed, we have Bible fours, we have emergent bilinguals, which beforehand it was most of the bilinguals were all grouped together. And you very well know that in order to grow, you need to be around people that, you know, will allow you to grow. If we're all at the same level, then, you know, there's, of course, we're looking again at the self-actualization or motivational aspect, how much is there and are the kids going to be able to grow? But the whole the entire aspect is looking at how the students are growing. And then the rubrics, like going to that in Dr. Jewett's class, she allowed us to choose our own rubric or the rubric she had. At the campus level, that's not going to work. You're going to have to have a set rubric and that's going to be that rubric for the entire class where at the elementary, maybe letting them choose. And then also, I remember on the article that we turned in or the articles that we researched, if sun grading was going to be applied, it had to be with the older kids. And I'm talking not necessarily at the middle school or high school, I'm talking about at least third grade or second grade where they have that ability for them to understand the entire concept. I think you're right on that. My experience was in sixth and fifth grade, and really fifth grade students did a phenomenal job in understanding and the concept because they knew that it wasn't just going to be a test on a Friday. It was everything leading up to that Friday, whereas project based on a rubric, working together, and again, giving them the, at least just that option of as long as you are submitting these requirements to me, However you present it, it's up to you. Or being able to give them that freedom now, 
going back to the labeling, like you said, where you have a mix of classes, Bible 4, EBs, and so on. What I noticed is having classes that are mixed like that, even if we had some GT plots with some non-labeled GT kids, they worked perfectly well together and they were able to just gel. They were able to see and feed off of their strengths and learn from one another. And I think that was something that's great going back to what we were saying that instead of having those labels, which like you said, we talked about being very Eurocentric and uh, you know how we label everybody. Here you're seeing students at mixed levels working collaboratively and learning from one another. And never did I once notice that you would see like a GT kid say, oh, I feel like I'm being held back because everybody in that class was getting the exact same assignments and treatments. Now, of course, at the end, if you did have those accommodations, you would respect what's there on the accommodations, on the IEPs, and so on. But even those students still had the freedom to present in whatever way they felt comfortable. And then what was shocking was when we would go into these RTIs again, going into those meetings and not just speaking and saying, oh, well, the, he's doing well, verbaling well. I actually have an artifact here to say, hey, this is where they were at the beginning. This is where they are now. And some students to be able to see them either get accommodations removed or adjusted or even exiting out of programs was something that I saw was beneficial from the ungrading concept, even though we still had to put in a numerical grade based on their work and assess. Well, the thing is that even in the formal evaluations for teachers, there's an area for differentiation. Differentiation is still applicable because you're still going to have the students that are lower than the, some other students. But of course, the end goal is to have them close those learning gaps, those achievement gaps. So as a teacher, yes, you are going to help others with whatever needs they have or need to add because it's part of their IEP or it's part of their accommodations or it's part of the helps that they need. Yeah. So, but my question to you is, when doing this on grading that you've been doing, did you have students fail or did you have to work with some students more or how was that? Okay, so here's the thing. I'm glad that you asked that. Where teachers in the pod that I was in would bring in students for tutoring, it's almost like they had a full class. I was like, well, that's like you're teaching your kids again and you're reteaching them in the way that they didn't learn. In my approach of allowing them to present in the way that they learn or feel comfortable with, my tutorial groups were a lot smaller, but yes, I still had students that maybe weren't doing too well and I had to provide extra help, but the number was less and I was able to really get down and really granular with them to really focus on those areas of improvement that they needed and to close those achievement gaps. So I don't want to say that with ungrading, all of the world's problems and the classroom problems are going to be solved. The work is still there because you're still going to have those students that require those additional supports. But on the teacher side, my workload did not feel overwhelming as a teacher next door who on Saturday brought in pretty much their whole class and I only had seven kids to work with. And really, it made things a lot easier. So those are some of the advantages that I saw in that aspect. Hey, you know what? I'm glad that you stated that it makes sense. We asked teachers, hey, bring the students or the bubble kids or the kids that are underperforming, bring them to after school tutorials, bring them to Saturday academies. But 
how do we expect different results if they're doing the same thing over and over again? So that makes complete sense, having them mixed. And the other thing that I know that for the application of the ungrading system is we're going to have to go also into professional learning communities and have teachers go into classrooms where it being done efficiently and effectively because different levels and but it's going to have to be a complete campus buy-in and once it shows that it is working i think that's what we'll have the buy-in because right now it's going to be a lot of hesitation, a lot of fear. It's like when the pandemic, when everybody was so scared with online learning and all these platforms. And I mean, we've been doing that since the early 2000s, online learning classes. So we were not prepared because we were, again, traditional and we had to be face to face. And in speaking to Brand, even told me that we would not be assess as far as with the star because star was based on face-to-face -face learning so those fours were not going to be used or utilized i thought he was joking but at the end it wasn't so in this sense with the star redesign where you have to justify your responses where you need to have the best three responses where there's a lot more critical thinking. I think ungrading lends itself for this type of assessments where they're going to be able to read. And not only that, I also want to talk about stamina, being able to have the discussions and talk and listen and have those reflective process occurring in the actual class. It's going to lend itself for sure. So, I mean... I am excited and first I have to prove that this is working and then after I can prove this, then I can go into the other aspect with the ungrading perhaps next year and that maybe that could even be part of my dissertation, I don't know. Seeing how I'm linking this to argumentation, scientific argumentation or where the students are able to have those conversations and justifying responses and listening to each other and just having a conversation, academic conversation. Like I said, this assignment turned out to be a lot better in the sense that it kind of gave validity to what I did. And I know that my students grew from that because I have been following them and seeing them at the high school level and they're all doing very well. But was it scary? Of course, as so something that's innovative and something that's new always is because you're going against the grain. But just because something is new and you're going outside the box doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be bad. It's just a matter of really making believers of those that don't believe in it. But also just understanding that the end result is going to be growth for the students. And like you said, being able to merge the classes and not worry so much about labels, but that everybody's working cohesively together at level. Of course, like we said always not disregarding any accommodations or supports, but that everybody has the opportunity to work at the same level. And I think that really helps our students continue to strive. So that's really what I'm taking away from this project. And because, you know, with the ungrading, as we see in our examples, like when Dr. Jewett says, hey, give yourself a grade, man, sometimes it's like, I don't even know what to give myself because now the ball's on your court and now you're thinking hard about your performance and where you're at and where you stand that I think that's something that is beneficial, which is that reflective piece. 
being able to reflect on what you're doing and what you're learning. So just to wrap things up, any final thoughts, Cesar? It was growth because it, with our model, yeah. it was a little sheet of paper. And then how we gradually went to the next phase where we did a, like a cycle because it is cyclical and it just, it depended where we landed. And I don't think you put the numbers on there on purpose. So we can be on, on, <laughs> on record, on record that the numbers were not there on or, purpose. It was numbers, just, <laughs> I don't think the numbers were there on purpose that say, this is number one, two, three, <laughs> four, whatever. It was just like, it was number one in our list yeah. and two and three and four, because before it didn't even have the numbers. Yes. And in order to have, I guess, some sort of order, yeah. we put the numbers. Yeah. And then in growing from that, it went into the actual A+, plus because I think that the A-plus actually is going to represent ungrading itself, or, you know, the students are actually, I think this is, I'm sorry, I, I get excited. I think this is actually going to close the achievement gaps of the students that have always been I know how they say no child left behind, yeah. but the students that are left behind. Absolutely. It's so ironic that we say no child left behind, but still we have students that come into our grade levels and they're reading, let's just say, they're in fifth grade and they're reading at a third grade level or a second grade level. If that child was not left behind, not physically, but mentally yeah. they work. Oh, and it goes even at the middle school and at the high school. You get them at the middle school and I'm like, you know, what happened here? Did they learn anything in elementary? And then you go to the high school and say, did they learn anything in middle school? And why? We're saying no child left behind, but they are being left behind because we are not allowing them to have those conversations and being able to justify their responses and listen to others and bring that cohesion of what the actual learning was supposed to be about, what they're supposed to pick up. There's always going to be a curriculum, but like you say, to have a rubric, if you're able to cover this in that conversation, you get the A. Yeah. And you know what? You tell me how you did. Exactly. And okay, you got an A. Okay, well, based on this rubric, then you can have the conversation with the person. One, you gave yourself an A, but based on this rubric, you were supposed to get a B. And this is why. And I love that, that it opens up that dialogue, that conversation. And also the fact that one thing that he's kind of stated is that when the child, when the student gives himself that grade and they're saying, yes, I've mastered this. What I love about it is that they're actually internalizing, not just memorizing, but they had to dive in deep. But also the fact that you can even ask them, say, can you explain this and present it to your classmates too as well? So it's just that growth. So for me, just in, in closing, it's for me, it's the growth for the student, like you said, and the fact that I absolutely agree with you where there are gaps and even some of the programs and platforms that we have that we use show that there are gaps where we have ninth graders that are still missing the concepts from fourth and fifth grade because yes, although the student could be doing algebra, they still may not know how many inches are in a foot because they never learned that, which is something that you stated. And how do you find that out when, without giving the student the opportunity to reflect and really have a discussion in class too? And I think that opening that dialogue in class is something that is important and goes along with the ungrading. So those are my final thoughts there. But like I said, it was a pleasure working on this ungrading project with you, Sessa. It was great that we were both able to merge our projects together and not only have 
personal growth for ourselves on our side, but just even professional growth and as far as what we plan to do and be some of those innovators in the K-12 space and even in the higher ed space someday. I mean, really do think we're gonna become trailblazers. If we're able to apply this at the K-12, I was really excited we're working with you and this is my first podcast, so. Oh, it's all good. Well, you did great. Well, Dr. Jewett, thank you so much for this awesome semester. Thank you for everything. Really appreciate everything you've done for us and uh, we hope to see you in the future. Take it easy. Yeah.